It was the fall of 1992. I was a freshman in college, 22 years ago, a freshman in college. I'd been there for just over a month, and my first major English paper was due. I'd read the book. I'd done my research. I'd found four or five good quotes to use. And now it was time to type my masterpiece. And I sat in my dorm room, and I looked around. What do I use? It was 1992. We didn't have laptops. There was no iPad. My roommate didn't have a computer yet. I didn't have one of those word processors. And for the children and youth who were here, a word processor is like a typewriter. And if you don't know what a typewriter is, it sits on your desk and you click the keys. (laughs) So I wasn't one of the lucky ones to have a computer in my room or even in my dorm. So there I went on a beautiful October day in the fall of 1992 to the basement to find a computer lab where a creepy guy in the corner could sit and watch me type up my papers. (laughs) So I walked into the computer lab and there were 70 to 80 computers stuck on tables right beside each other, half PCs, half apples, all completely filled with my peers, also feverishly typing their papers. Okay, flash forward eight years. Amy and I are married, and we're looking for our own computer. Dell was the way to go. We could build our computer online, and it got mailed to us. It was amazing. No one even talked about Apple computers. That company was almost dead, or so the world thought. Apple was in the process of getting pummeled on the ropes. Its competitors were killing it financially, and it would have been easy for that company to embrace the practices of their peers, but instead, they endured the beating. They lived through that tough time pausing in the midst of it to find the gifts that they brought to the marketplace. They took the time to see what people needed and how the gifts that this company brought could meet those needs and maybe even create some new ones. In other words, Apple innovated. And in 2001, Apple released its first ever iPod. It was like this big. And the computer world has not been the same. Innovation. Our session claimed this as one of our core values. And it's a term that is deeply rooted in the business community, which can provide us with so many different examples of how companies and life innovates. Apple is just one example of a company that embraced innovation and has seen tremendous growth. And then you have Dell, Blockbuster, 
Kodak. These businesses are all cautionary tales of the dangers of trying to stay the same in a changing world. Wikipedia tells us that innovation can be viewed as the application of better solutions that meet new requirements, inarticulated needs, or existing market needs, and that this is accomplished through more effective products, processes, or services. Which means, I was not a business major, that innovation is not invention. Invention is creating something entirely new, a new idea, a new product, a new method. Innovation entails using what's at your disposal in new ways to meet or create needs. Innovation is a great core value. But Fairmount is not a business. We are not inventing new products. We are not writing new stories to go into the Bible. We are not creating new demands. Apple and Dell, Kodak and Kmart, innovate to make money. Why would Fairmount want or need to innovate? We are holding up as we celebrate with our Jewish brothers and sisters, the Rosh Hashanah, the Jewish New Year, a 5,775-year-old story. We are holding up and shining a light on the world. We are living an ancient relationship, and from that relationship, we are finding new life in these bones. But as we hold up this story... And as we pay close attention, the light that we shine, the relationship that we enjoy proves that God has always been about finding new ways to reach God's people. This story, our life of faith, has always been about finding new ways to connect with a fickle and changing world. For example, in the book of Numbers, we find Moses still leading the Hebrew people through the wilderness. They've been there a long time. The people are tired of dust and sand and wilderness. They want to be home. They want the promised land. And then their matriarchs and patriarchs begin to die. Where this story picks up, Moses' sister Miriam has died. Not only was she his sister, she was an integral leader of the Hebrew people. The people are tired in the middle of nowhere. The ones they love and value are dying. The ones they thought surely would lead them into the promised land are dying. And now, once again, they have no water. And they are not happy. They are grumbling. They are plotting against Aaron and Moses. So they go to see God once again. Aaron and Moses and that ever-present staff stand in the presence of God. And in the text, 
God addresses them, giving them very specific instructions on how to demonstrate God's presence to these people at this time. God tells Moses to gather the people together and to command the water to come from the rock. Well, Moses gathers the people together, and as you heard, does a little light scolding of them, and then picks up that staff, like he always has, and he strikes the rock, and water comes pouring forth into their lives. But did you catch it? God said to command the water. God said to command the rock to produce water. And yet, Moses grabbed that staff, that one, the one that helped them through Egypt, the one that parted the Red Sea, the one that he used earlier in the story, in the book of Exodus, to strike the rock the first time the Hebrew people got grumpy. He did what he's always done. God was innovating. Can you feel it? God was trying to do something new to address these people who'd been in the wilderness and whose life experience had changed them. Knowing that God is addressing a different people, God's doing something new. Using what's at God's disposal to help take away the shackles from their eyes so that they could see that God was with them all along. But like the good, cautious leader, Moses reverted to habit. Instead of doing the new thing, Moses did what he always has done. Why would he do that? When God is trying to do an old thing in a new way, why would Moses get in the way? We don't know anything about that, do we? God wanted to quench a new thirst, a new need. That is God's habit. To do what it takes to connect with God's people. When the Hebrews made their way into the promised land, God resided in the Ark of the Covenant to reassure them of God's presence among them. When Jonah went his own way, God used what was at hand to get Jonah where he needed to be, to make sure that Jonah ended up speaking to God's people. When the Babylonians invaded and the temple was destroyed, God innovated by speaking through the prophets to remind God's people that God was still with them, God doing a new thing again and again and again. And when the pains of the world got to be too much, and the people were crying for a Savior, Christ comes to live among us in the person of Jesus, expanding the covenant to all people by charging the disciples by charging us to go out into the world to baptize and to teach and to help people remember that Christ is with us always to the end, to the very end of the age. 
But like Moses, these disciples, having heard this amazing charge, run back to Jerusalem and hole up in a room all by themselves behind locked doors, hiding, licking their wounds, trying to figure out the safest option to move forward. Well, how can we go out and baptize people and not end up on the cross? How can we go and teach people and not end up on the cross? How can we go and remind people that Christ is with us always but not end up on the cross? Behind locked doors, trying to figure out the safe way forward, That's what we tend to do. When we're scared about the future, when we sense that things are changing, when we don't want to be too vulnerable with others around us, we cling to what is natural. We cling to our habits. We cling to what's always been done. It's like hunting raccoons. Any of you hunt raccoons? Is it a southern thing? It might be a southern thing. It's not. Well, in South Carolina, my neighbors hunted raccoons, and they taught me how to do it. Raccoons love shiny things. And so they would drill holes into logs and put various shiny things down there. And the raccoons, seeing them, would reach their tiny little hands into these tiny little holes, and they would grab a hold of it real tight because they really, really wanted it. And then they would pull up, and they were stuck. Stupid raccoons. They didn't know just to let go. They held on because that's what they wanted. That's what they wanted. They could hear the dogs coming for them, the hunters close behind them, and they wouldn't let go. That's what we do. We reach down and we grab, hold tight of the things that bring us comfort. We reach down and we grab a hold tight of the things that we always do. Even though the world is changing around us and everything is new, we just need to hold on to something tight. God knows this habit of ours. God knew that that's what these disciples were doing. And you know what God did? God sent the power of the Holy Spirit upon them. There they were, trapped in their fear, trapped in that room. And God says, nope, time for something new. Go out into the world, empowering them to speak in ways they could never imagine, empowering them to do things they could never imagine that they could never do on their own. The Holy Spirit, the great innovator that fuels our life together, pushing us out into the world to do amazing things in a new and changing world so that all of God's people could experience the love of God in new ways, so that God's people could experience an ancient story that shapes us and molds us in new and powerful ways. That same spirit abides in you. It abides in us. It abides in this place.
pushing us out to confront the needs of the world with the gifts of our very selves. When the women of this community saw a need for a church that could help shape and nurture the children of this neighborhood, Fairmount was born. When the older members of this community needed a vibrant community in which to retire, this church, empowered by the Spirit, helped found and shape the Breckenridge Village community. When this community noticed that adults and children with developmental and physical disabilities had no faith community to call home, we created Project Renewal, providing a monthly opportunity for them to experience God's love. And you know what? We were the ones who were transformed. When this community noticed that members were not allowed to honor the gifts that God had given them, because they were women first, and most recently because they were gay or lesbian or transgender, this community stood firmly and proudly proclaimed that God's love is for all people, that God calls all people to serve and to live in the midst of Christ's church. When society expected God's community to be formal and staid, we dressed the part with ushers and coats and tails, looking the part. But when culture changed, wanting less formal ex- experiences of worship, we met the need and loosened up and dressed down, all the while offering the gifts of our authentic selves to help meet God's needs in the world. The Spirit continues to burn brightly in this place, creating all kinds of opportunities for each of us to offer back to God who we are to meet the needs of this world. The Serve Council is busy dreaming new dreams about how to be about the work of meeting the needs of the world. The Care Council is busy finding ways to reach inward, to care for one another. The Administrative Council is working to ensure that we have everything we need. The Faith Formation Council is seeking ways to help us experience God and to nurture our hunger for God's presence in our lives. And underlying all of this work is the belief that God is active not only in those who are elected to leadership, but that God is active in all of us. All of these new structures bringing to light the ways that God is at work innovating in our midst with the belief that each and every one of us have gifts to bring to God's story, that each and every one of us have gifts to bring to help God's people experience an ancient story of love so deep we can't fathom it in new and powerful ways. The Holy Spirit, the great innovator, is our story. The great innovator lives and breathes in and through us this day and every day. Through the years, God has not called us to become something totally new. 
God has not called us to let go of this beautiful building and all of our sacred traditions. God has called us to identify our gifts, to get in touch with our authentic self, and then to respond to the needs present in the world, to respond to the ways that God is active and moving in our life. This is how faith communities innovate. This is how faith communities find new life, by honoring the Spirit in our midst and maintaining a posture of innovation, a posture of attentiveness to how God is moving and where God wants us to go. So that we can say, yes, we're ready. We see the needs and we will respond. So that in all times, in all places, God's children can know for certain and for sure that Christ is with us always to the end of the age. Hallelujah. Amen.